0: I just am fascinated to see if mentally this year he can come through and handle all that that pressure. I think the last few years, something little has set him off. There's going to be a lot this year, the most he's ever faced. Each year that goes by that he doesn't win it, I think it it gets bigger and bigger on him. I don't know. I'm not sure he's going to do it. I think it it all could be too much, and then I could look like a fool in a few weeks, where obviously he's so far the best player out there. Why wouldn't he have won it? Um, But I I think he's going to have to overcome a lot of, of pressure from a lot of different areas to pull through. Hey
1: everyone, John Wertheim. It is this week's Beyond the Baseline Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast here with our producer, Jamie Losanti. We're going to preview the French Open with Lindsay Davenport, Tennis Channel commentator, three-time Grand Slam winner, overall super fantastic person. Never won the French Open, but that is the only major she never won. Uh, let's get right to it. Let's bring her in now from Southern California, Lindsay Davenport. How are you? I'm good. I've missed you. Likewise. I'm going to see you soon, though. I know. A couple days. The um, I, I, I was thinking, I'd say a lot's gone on since the last major in tennis. <laughs>
0: Back in January, oh my goodness! you imagine
1: leaving Australia and being like, "Um yeah, Maria Sharpova's gonna we we don't joke about this, but you know Maria Sharpova's gonna have a an anti doping issue, and I, I believe as we record this on Wednesday, she may well be in her hearing as we speak. Ray Moore is going to uh go down in history sadly as something other than a former player and and tournament promoter." <laughs> Anyway, a lot has gone on. So now we're on the eve of our second major. The draw is not out yet, but I thought you and I would uh do a little preview. How do you feel about that? I'm ready. Let's do it. Um all right, here's what, I'm I'm thinking let's let's start general first. So so a year ago you were you were coaching a player. And I'm curious when you go to the French Open, and I I realize this varies from player to player, but when you you go to this this clay court event in Paris, How much are you stressing the uniqueness of this event, and how much are you sort of demystifying it and saying tennis is tennis? Like, what's the the approach of a player going into a clay court major?
0: Yeah, you know, for any player, it depends on the surface. And I think a really good coach will convince – uh, a clay quarter or a player that likes slower surfaces that, okay, this is your time to shine. The courts are great. You move better than everyone and really get them fired up. On the other hand, when that kind of player goes into Wimbledon, you still have to work like Jedi mind tricks to think like, <laughs> okay, the grass is slow this year. You know, we're going to make you play well on it. I mean, that is the, I think one of the most tricky things and especially being a tennis coach when you're only dealing with one player is to try to get them to believe every single day in every single match. Um, and some people, you know, they're just natural motivators. And they can get a hardcore player to think, yeah, I'm going to win the French open. And we've seen it before. Will we see it again? I-, I think so. I think especially in women's tennis, we've gone away from just a clay court specialist. Um, and I think a lot of players, especially this year, think, yeah, why not?
1: <laughs> Here here's another broad question like that. So so we always talk about it's this is a this is a big theme in, in the media that you're now part of. It's a big theme among fans. Sort of every major is different. Every major has its own character. And I'm curious among players, Paris is obviously much different from Melbourne or New York or Wimbledon, but does all this talk of hotel rooms versus rentals and traffic and food is, is that something that players even sense or is it just an event is an event is an event that that
0: kind of stuff really resonates with most players don't you think like i i mean in the players that i've been close to either when i was playing or past my career and certainly how i handled it like i would be on top of all that stuff hotels how many rooms the rates um, even which way the driver was taking each morning. Now I could just be a massive control freak, which I think that I think is you're the a massive case. But freak. I think most players are extremely diligent, extremely independent, extremely... Um, interested and invested in how things go every day you know you're not used to a team sport where it's okay we all board the bus and we all leave for the airport at noon and whatever it's like you're responsible solely for yourself and your career and that day and to make sure everything goes smoothly Um, I think it's always heightened as well at grand slams uh, you know more money more points more media more fans more attention and I think automatically the players just immediately just get Naturally, more tense about everything, including, as you said, food or traffic or drivers, and uh, it, you know that can really be tough on entourages, on coaches, and everyone else around.
1: That's really. I, I was. I asked this in part because I was just talking to a to an NFL player, and I said, "What was it like playing in Seattle?" And he was basically like, "You know, it doesn't matter where you play. You go to the practice field, you watch tape, you go home." He's like, "The off season, I come back to California, where I'm from." And Seattle may as well be Kansas City, which may as well be Indianapolis. When I do my job, it's just the the apartment. Uh, I got a couple places I like to eat, and otherwise I'm going to the practice facility. It, it sounds much different uh, what you're describing in tennis. Where,
0: well, that I think maybe then you'd compare Roland Garros or Wimbledon to the Super Bowl. Like certainly everything, or you know the divisional playoff game, where it's like everything's more heightened. That could be the case where between, you know, I don't know Stuttgart and some of those tournaments as opposed to the four majors
1: gotcha alright let's let's get to uh, good answer that's uh, I don't know this is stuff that interests me I mean we can we can talk about uh, you know Sarah Ronnie's chances another time but, uh, wait, wait
0: is it she has not won a red clay court match. Wait, we can't start
1: season. with Sarah Roddy, but you're right. Her results have been just absolutely I jizzable. No, What's I know. I just Former read that finalers. yesterday.
0: I'm like, is that possible? She's... And of all things, I mean, who would have picked her to win? Was it Dubai on the fastest hardcore court? Yeah, exactly, season? Yeah, exactly. I'm totally perplexed by both of those facts.
1: Um, I just picked a name at random. Let, let's start with more prominent player, just... Serena, no, I mean, is, can uh, you
0: believe that, though? Don't this get me wrong. This former French Open finalist hasn't won a match this season on I, I think on we're going to do a
1: special Sarah Roddy podcast after this, special edition. <laughs> um, does, uh, does Serena defend?
0: Uh, I think, I mean, based on what we saw in Rome, how she was playing, her level of engagement, um, how she looked, you know, you can tell sometimes with Serena and how she looks between points, let alone game changeovers, everything. I mean, she looked like... She was back turned on, back engaged, and back really invested in the sport. When she's like that, it's it's like 80% in her hands if she's going to win or not. And uh, I I think I think she's now solidified herself again as the favorite uh, going in here.
1: Who uh, if if not I mean we're doing this I should I should be clear we're doing this on Wednesday before the draw. But if if not Serena, you have someone you've you've starred in your racing form.
0: You know, we we had to fill out, um, you know, our our favorites and our picks for, um, you know, that French Open preview show we're doing in a few days, John.
1: You and me both.
0: <laughs> and it's so interesting, you know, a couple months ago, you would say for sure Azarenka. And I mean, look at her now the last five weeks. She's right. been back to the last few years of Vika where a lot of injuries. She's playing on the court. You can tell she's less than i don't know 60 at least percent um getting frustrated and so you really have to worry about her health she's never loved the red clay she's good on it but it hasn't been her best surface so i don't even know if you've put her at two Hallop looked great uh winning madrid and maybe she's gotten her head back together she had a tough time backing that up in rome um i put Hallop up there um You know, and then you see Kerber the last few weeks doesn't really give you a lot to really put a lot of uh, weight behind. It's just,
1: it's so wide open in women's tennis. I
0: keep saying that. I mean, Kerber and Panetta win slams, the last two of them. Not a lot of people would have picked that.
1: No. And uh, you're you're talking about top 10 player uh, Flavia Panetta, by the way.
0: Yeah, I know She's she still went back in the to the 10. top ten. That seems crazy too. She gotten some. Uh,
1: <laughs> she should have gotten some racket, bonus. Wait, I thought I thought it said here. Here's why don't we try this just for kicks? Um, uh, let's run through the top seeds. Top okay. ten. Top ten seeds. Give me one sentence. Um, what one sentence? What do you mean? No, because I'm thinking like this is so all over the place. I mean, you look at these seeds and they've they've jumbled a bunch even in the past you know two weeks or so. Yeah. Um. But, I, you know, it's it's like Serena, I, I'm totally with you, right? So so Serena played herself back into, uh, you know, she'd done a long time without a title, but she looked like the Serena of in Rome. That's a nice result heading into uh, a Grand Slam where she's defending a title. And after that, it is, you could take these names and just, like, jumble them, and seeds 2 through 16 wouldn't make a whole lot of difference, would they?
0: I don't think so. I, I really don't. I mean, most people don't want to be around Serena in a draw. Um after Miami, everyone would say keep me away from Vika. Um no, but I think but other I think than you're that, right. That's I mean there is off. no reason why there's not ten other players that that's, could that's, win this uh, tournament if Serena is is not, you know, I don't know, seventy five percent or above.
1: That that's that's my point. I'm I'm, I'm saying seeds, that's exactly my point. I'm saying seeds two to fifteen. You you may as well just draw those at random because yeah. there's a difference between Suarez Navarro and Safarova and Vinci and you know, even Kerber at number three. I I don't know what it is. Yeah, agreed. Um, but uh, what about? Um, I think uh, our, our friend Simona Halep is that that might be your second pick. I think. I'm, I'm laughing. So. Last, I, you we know, said that last I, year. We both got roundly. I don't know if you remember this. We we both got roundly ridiculed for uh, picking Halep <laughs> last year.
0: I I mean I feel like she is so good that it's it's all mental with her. And, okay, so we just talked about that at the beginning of the podcast. What can Cahill, uh, Darren, one of the best coaches out there, how can he get her into that place where she's in a happy place on court? She thinks she can win because um, she has the game. She has the movement. She has that ability to play offense and defense. She knows patterns of other players. Um, truly, it's it'll be interesting to see if she can put it together like, she did so well two years ago. Right. Um, I just, I, you know, you rolling Garros. you've got to have really thick skin because of the weather. It makes the courts play so differently from day to day. The fans can be incredibly tough, you know, all that stuff. It is, you know, it's a huge mental test, a huge mental battle. Um, it, it's always fascinating to see what happens.
1: I got three names for you all bunched together. Um, okay. again, this is seeds 13, 14, 15 as of Wednesday. Um, obviously that will change if there are any more withdrawals, two of them, uh, former champions, one of them, you know, well, Kuznetsova. Yep. Former, I former put champion. her down
0: on my long shot list or, you know, upsets or whatever, because how she played in Miami, you never know with what you get with her. Right. Um, but someone who's won there before and someone who's played well, um, Lately, you always have to—I uh, always am scared of Kuzi in a draw. She can lose first round to anybody, and she can challenge the top players, right. no question.
1: But here she—I mean, you know, she's, she's north of 30 years old, but this is a—multiple times, probably a—you know, by these standards, probably a Hall of Famer. She's already beaten Serena this year, Her back in the top 15. Yeah. Um, I have—I get burned by this every year for going on—you know, we're we're encroaching on a decade here, but uh, yeah. Anna Ivanovic is a former champion. Eight years ago in two thousand eight, when she was the number one ranked player, and unfortunately has not really been the same well, player she, ever since. Wasn't a
0: semifinalist then? last year? Semifinalist
1: last year, semifinalist last year, and things were really opening well for her, and then kind of didn't show up for that match. I mean, a very, very mystifying semifinal match, um, yeah. where her, her level of play really dropped off. And you know, I mean, I'm you know, let's Madison Keys coming off a nice run in Rome.
0: It was. It's been amazing how she's been able to turn her year around. And just knowing her, and how her mindset has changed from the beginning part of the year when things weren't great and she was really down and she was getting injured still, um, to how for things for her just click. They have the potential of clicking just like in an instant. And did not play well in Madrid. Was very um, down after losing to Teague, and then goes to Rome um and has just a different voice a more clear voice in her head with Thomas Hogstead, you know specific instructions and she started to find her contact point she started to believe and what a run and what i was most impressed about is how she was backing it up she didn't start until excuse me she had to play wednesday and play all the way through right, right, historically right. that has given her problems with injuries and she toughed out one match after another um and now the hard work starts, is now she's got to keep backing it up with good results every single week.
1: We've talked about this before, I think, but maybe it someone else. But I was, I was saying this is I – I can't think of another female player who benefits more from an off day between matches. Yeah. No, um,
0: definitely. She – I mean, and that's the part of trying to get Madison out of is getting the body to recover – and, and some of that is handling nerves. Sometimes the nerves make, you know, muscles tighten up more, and then you're more susceptible to injuries. Um, it's trying to keep everything, the body, working all together. That's a lot of times when Grand Slams have helped her to just have a day off, get the body recovered. Um, and that's why I think Rome, I mean, certainly for me, watching that was so exciting because she she had a couple little problems, was able to get through it both physically and mentally. Um, that is a really big sign and a very positive sign for her
1: all right hold that thought lindsey davenport i want to tell you about the si media podcast richard deitch welcomes nba all-star tnt broadcaster i would say improving broadcaster he's gotten a lot better over the years we're talking about chris weber here are the stories of weber's incredible run with the fab five at michigan his career in the pros his love of marv albert his new life in broadcasting it's a good interview as they are all the time with Richard Dite when he does his media podcast. You can find it at si.com backslash podcast or your favorite podcast app of choice. That includes iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play Music. Give me one other name that, I mean, you know, you've, you've watched uh, you've watched your fair share of tennis. Is, is there anyone you're seeing that, um, you know, I, I had somebody write to me from Europe, oh, keep an eye on this Yelena Ostapenko, who actually, actually now I believe is seated after uh was he actually with Drew? Uh, yeah, eighteen years old, and like that's uh, that's nice. You come to a second major of the year with a uh, with a top thirty-two seed. But I, I, is there one player that has stuck out? Do you know, we we, we saw Gavrlova after uh, Australia. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there one player that this spring has has caught your eye? This is someone I'm going to watch.
0: Um, you know, I think, gosh, um, you might have stumped me, Mister Wertheim. I I think I've always especially this year, been so focused on some of the higher ranked players and how they were going to do. And if they were going to take advantage, um, Kesit Kina, I watched her play a bunch in Indian Wells. Uh, I, when she was playing well, she was great. And then I saw her play a match where she wasn't playing well. And, it was like, hmm, she's got, she's got a few things she's got to work out there. Um, but I like the way, um, when she was on, her her spirit on court and how she was kind of fighting to get through. Luisa Chirico, um, yeah, watching nice her win, run huh? in Madrid was right? really fun. And again, mentally, how she handled all the challenges. Um but let's you know, it's a, such a different ball game when you get then into the top twenty. I think then you really get an insight to a player and how they're going to handle their future moving forward.
1: If I give you truth serum, do do you like this landscape, or is it? I mean, what's your? Do you shrug your shoulders, you roll your eyes, or is this? I, mean, I think most of us perplexed. say, "Look, it's, it's it's Serena, and then it's a it's Serena, and then it's a crapshoot, right?"
0: Yeah, you know, I'm perplexed that. Um, so many players. It's like, I I get it. The landscape definitely changes when you win a slam, but like, that's what you want, (laughs) you know? And it's like, I, I, I struggle with some of the players that then just accept five to eight bad results a year. You know, that just is like, that just seems too many. It just seems like if you're in the top five or top six, you might have, Two or th- maybe three tournaments where you go out first round, or but y- you look at some of these players and it's like, oh, six times they didn't get past the first round or the second. And you're like, how's that possible?
1: I, I was telling um, someone it, it's, that's uh... what I'd like
0: to see them take more pride in: either figuring it, figuring out how to win when they're not playing well, toughing some days out when maybe not everything's perfect in the beginning. Um, that that kind of perplexes me a bit.
1: Uh, I'm with you because I feel I feel like. A lot of these defeats are mystified. If it's just everybody's really closely bunched together and these are competitive matches, and sometimes Hollop beats Azarenka and sometimes Azarenka beats Holop, it's one thing, but there have been some really mystifying results. I mean, we yeah. you know Kvitova's yeah. a play, you know, multiple Grand Slam champion, and she's out of the top 10 right now and has had some really perplexing defeats. You know, v, we, we all love Venus. We all have admiration and respect for what she's doing at this point in her career, but, you know, she's barely playing 500 ball this year after
0: yeah, getting I, to number I seven. Yeah, I do have more sympathy or more understanding for her <laughs> at her age. Yeah, and exactly. All her injuries. I get perplexed, as you said, like some of the early round losses by Halep or by Muguruza, or it's like, and then they always, and there's a bunch of players that do this, even Kerber. I mean, she didn't win a match for a few months after winning a Grand Slam. Right, um, right. Maybe that's just the different, Mentality, maybe it's just different. I just—that's the part that just just seems a little bit the you know the dots aren't connecting there.
1: It's never boring. Um, (laughs) Are you? uh, I mean, obviously the multiple-time French Open champion that we have not yet discussed. Who is not in the draw is Maria Sharapova. Uh, You hearing anything?
0: I have not heard anything. I mean, everyone is so interested to see you know exactly what happens with that um you know i i there's a couple things we'll get that uh, it doesn't seem like i I don't know what the amount in her system was but obviously if it was under that one number wada came out she i think would have gotten away with it it seems like she had more in her system but i don't know everyone is just fascinated to see how this plays out, huh? I mean,
1: I, I think we talked about this before, that it, it's a really, you know, it's, it's, it's a unique set of circumstances, but it's always a unique set of circumstances, right? These, these things are never cut and dried, and I had X in my system, and here's the conversion chart, and here's my pen. I mean, there's always mitigating factors. I think, remember in the beginning, we had athlete after athlete testing positive for meldonium, and, yeah. and, and, then, and then it got to this, I feel like it got to this weird you know, this weird Malcolm Gladwell tipping point where there were so many athletes testing positive for meldonium that then it became, wait a second, maybe we need to study this drug a little more closely, maybe we need to gather some more information, that at first when a few dozen athletes all from the same part of the world were testing positive, everybody said, aha, this, this is systematic, this is a systemic doping, and I think it reached a point where there were so many meldonium positives that the burden sort of shifted onto WADA, so it's, I, I, you know, I mean, I think that, um, I, I think there's there's a pretty big range here. I mean, I've, I've heard some people say that they think that she'll get off with time served and we may see her at Wimbledon and, and the Olympics. I think um, a year still seems to be kind of the, the, the pervasive guess. Four, I think four years is the max still. But um, this this could really go any way, anyway, couldn't it?
0: I, I know. I mean, everyone is so fascinated to see kind of how that that continues. Um, I, I just it can go any which way because there was so much ambiguity about that drug. And if it stays in your system, if it didn't. But I have to say, I mean, how suspicious is it that we're almost at 300 athletes have tested positive?
1: Yeah, but to, but to me that like, that could cut either way, right? I mean, if if it's if it's fifty, then you say, aha, clearly people know about this. If it's this many, I, I think now it becomes, wait a second, maybe this dosage stayed in the body longer than the manufacturer initially suggested. Maybe WADA needs to look more closely at how long these trace amounts have stayed. I mean, it's yeah, right. It's, it, it's, are we up to three hundred already?
0: I read something yesterday was like, or two weeks ago it was two eighty eight.
1: So yeah, right, right. maybe
0: it's just under three hundred or whatever. It just seems like um, so many people were taking it. Then you scratch your heads. Okay, why are all these people taking it? I don't think we buy all of these amazing athletes had premature heart conditions and on yeah, what was it so early of, onset diabetes. I was going to say a lot of diabetes like, going on. Yeah, that just sounded, that all sounded suspicious. And so then it's like. Why were all these athletes taking this drug? Then then when you are clean, you're like, Well, they're trying to get something from this this drug. Do you know what I, I don't know. I yeah, think but it, I, I
1: think the I think the no, response to that now No, I mean I think I think the response to that now is yes, a lot of athletes were taking this this drug. It was not on the ban list. Once it did go on the ban list, it's not as though all three hundred kept taking it. It was that trace amounts stayed in the body longer than Wada and its researchers initially thought. Hmm. But, and you know, and, don't, and anyway. some
0: of them though would would have kept taking it after January first as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. But um, no, I it's um, I, I guess I'm sort of stepping back. Six months ago, if you if you told me there was sort of a player less likely to be involved in, in sort of a strange cloak and dagger scenario like this, that really is predicated on sloppiness as much as anything, Maria Sharapova would be way down on my list. Um yeah. I mean the the fact that. Somebody who runs such a tight ship ordinarily and is always, you know, you, the word businesslike and, uh, you know, has their act together is always in heavy rotation. The fact that this really seems to be more a case of sort of sloppiness than anything else is really still a, a surprising aspect of this. But I guess, I guess you know, I guess we'll There's see. There's so
0: many parts about the case, like, we'd love to know. Like, you, you know, like we've talked about this before. When you take any drug, you're supposed to write anything down, whether it's Advil or vitamin C or... Something else. It's like
1: all of us are like, oh, so
0: did she declare it all ten years that she took it? You mean you mean on a form? On a
1: form, you get what what was
0: her dose? You know how much was in her system? And that's the kind of stuff we're never going to get answers to. Like we're going to get the ruling, and then we're all just left to go on. When it's someone like Sharapova, it's like everybody wants to know every little detail. We were obviously given what she wanted us to know at her press conference. Like you love to hear all sides of the story before you can really make your judgment on the case.
1: Well, that's where I, I mean, I've been critical of the PR, which I think was really botched. And certain information was leaked. There was that sort of choreographed press conference and certain information, you know, head in their statement, head rackets made reference to her dosage. And then you would ask a follow-up question and the response would be, oh, we're not going to try this in the media. Well, wait a second, you've already held a press conference. You've established a few things including why she was taking it which which was strange your racket sponsor is making references to dosages in a public statement that's trying your case in the media it's it's a little disingenuous to then pick and choose what questions you want answered and what information you're putting out there but anyway i guess we, we will uh you know we'll we'll have our answer you know like likely the week after the the french open i believe so yeah, exactly. We will see. All right, hold that thought. We're going to plug one more podcast here. It's SI's Open Floor, the NBA podcast with Splash Brothers, young Andrew Sharp, and young Ben Golliver. The NBA conference finals are upon us. You may have missed the Miami-Cleveland game, in which case you didn't miss much. It's a lot of slowdown Eastern Conference basketball. You may have missed Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, the Golden State Oklahoma series, which is much more entertaining, no problem. You know what you're going to do? You're going to listen to Open Floor. Our guys are watching every minute. Then they're producing a podcast, often right there in the arena. Good listen after the game. Good listen the next morning. Si NBA Podcast. Find it at si.com backslash podcasts or your favorite podcast app of choice, which are, again, iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play Music. On to the men's side. Does yeah. Novak Djokovic, finally. Is he going to do it? In his twelfth attempt, you tell me. In his twelfth attempt, does he finally, comp- you know, complete this career slam and win this elusive major that uh, he's uh, come so close to winning in in past years?
0: I I want him to win so badly because <laughs> you know I just he's going to go down as one of the greatest. But I have to tell you, I mean, obviously he's it, so good. Why wouldn't he win it? I just am fascinated to see if mentally this year he can come through and handle all that. That pressure, I think every, the last few years, something little has set him off. It, we can't tell because he keeps himself so calm on the court and he's so um, amazing and kind of handling pressure now. But um, there's going to be a lot this year, the most he's ever faced. Each year that goes by that he doesn't win it, I think it, it gets bigger and bigger on him. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure he's going to do it. I think it, it all could be too much, and then I could look like a fool in a few weeks where obviously he's so far the best player out there. Why wouldn't he have won it? Um, but I, I think he's going to have to overcome a lot of, of pressure from a lot of different areas to pull through.
1: So he loses a set in Rome to uh, Bellucci, the Brazilian lefty he loses a set to Nishikori, he has a tough match against Nadal, probably the most competitive match they've had in a long time and then obviously loses in straight sets in the final to Andy Murray. Is he um is this a disguised blessing? Would you be concerned that his momentum seems to have been stalled a bit? How how much sort of import do you uh give to this this Rome event?
0: Um I, you know, you have to take a little bit away because it is every day. In the final, he just looked like he had zero gas left in the tank. The Nishikori match the night before took it all out of him, not to mention the Rafa match before that. Um, he couldn't recover. Um, but, it, you know, he has just not looked as comfortable as convincing the entire Red Clay season. Um You know, there's been a few matches where he's looked vulnerable and we didn't see that for so long on hard courts. He was still pulling through a lot of those. Um, He's by far away the favorite. He's by far and away the best player out there. Um, Gosh, but I don't know. We'll (laughs) we'll, we'll see how the draw plays out. That's going to be a huge thing. Um, The weather as well, how that affects play. It looks like it's going to be pretty cold and chilly. Um, at least through the first week, um, that obviously slows things down and makes things heavier. Um, so many questions uh, <laughs> will to be answered.
1: I will say this: if he does win, are, are you with me? This completely reframes this greatest of all time discussion. That uh, completely, totally agree. Like so much,
0: definitely. I think you have now in this when, with how high a bar Rafa and Roger have set the last eight to ten years for Novak to go be mentioned to them, he has to win the career Grand Slam. And
1: uh, he's going to have a
0: few more chances to do that. But, yeah, to be able to enter the conversation of greatest ever uh, has to win the French at some point.
1: And yet if he does, he turns 29 in a few days? 29 in a few days? Um, Boy, you just do the math and... We can check off career Grand Slam. He will have won Roland Garros. I mean, we, we've talked about this before. The, the great irony is this: this guy is a really good clay court player. So if this is not um, this is not sort of picking off a fluky French. I mean, this is a guy who could have multiple Frenches already, and suddenly you just simply look at the math and say, if he can play till thirty-four, thirty-five, and win one and a half slams for the rest of his career, this guy may. Uh, this, this guy may be our greatest of all time after all.
0: I know. It just is. Uh, I mean, these guys win so many slams. It's so hard to get through. But, I mean, let's see when he's 32 or so. I mean, then you have to really look at how many he's had. Both, um, you know, there's a certain age where then all of a sudden you're not winning two or three slams right. anymore. Right. <laughs> you're just trying to get to one. And I'm fascinated to see when that happens for Novak and when the body, you know, it starts to break down slowly and the public might not see that. That happened with Federer and his back a few years ago. Um, so I just...
1: By, by a few years ago, do you mean last Tuesday? No, um, I mean... No, when, I know when, what you mean. Now you're it? right. He, he had a, no, it. No, I'm kidding. But, but you've given, you have given us a segue to... Uh, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, to two, three years ago, Roger had that that season that was off, and everybody sort of wondered what was going on, and then we find out and he was very good at disguising this, and to his great credit, never used it as an alibi, but then you find out later this guy really shouldn't probably have been even on the court. Um, But let's talk about Roger. If you're Roger Federer, as of right now, he's still practicing in Roland Garros. He's in Paris. He's in the draw. Do you um, you sort of go out there and see how you play and hope the weather in the draw gives you a few breaks and you play yourself into contention, or do you sacrifice this one and say, see on the grass?
0: I mean, he's in Paris, so he's still practicing on clay. He's obviously giving his best efforts to play. Um, we know so little information, but I would have thought just start getting ready for the grass. You know, like get, get back on the hard courts first, play on some faster surfaces, then start transitioning to the grass. Your best chance to win is... Uh, Wimbledon and get him as healthy as possible to make a good run in that. But, I mean, look at him. He is grinding, trying to get ready for Paris, spending time on the clay, showing up in Paris. By virtue of him being there, I would imagine he's he's going to play. Um, and then a lot of th- good things have to happen. Again, if the weather stays cold, that's not great for a back. Right. Right. Um, you Like you mentioned, the draw. Uh, we'll see. But also maybe the how many grand slams in a row i i don't know if that plays into him and his decision also um, but it'll be it's interesting to see how hardy is trying to play a grand slam where not a lot of people have given much of a chance to be able to win there
1: last time he did not appear in the main draw of a grand slam
0: i read that i think was it 99 or something
1: 99 us open and uh and he, he had possible. tried to qualify that amazing that's insane for if only to keep that streak alive, I hope he uh I hope he enters a draw. But not not a lot of match play coming in. And and again, sometimes you say, Maybe you know, heavy and slow conditions probably don't help him in any event, but especially with uh that's that's not the ideal recipe for, for a back injury.
0: No, cold, heavy, wet, coming off an injury. It's Ooh, not a perfect not <laughs> combo Stay, for Roger. Uh,
1: go to go to the George Sank uh masseuse and call it a tournament. <laughs> um, I mean, it is interesting that if, if Federer were to p- pull out, that would elevate Nadal into a top-four seed, which obviously changes the complexion of the draw. But if, And that
0: would uh, be by Friday.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And, or else... Um, okay, well, so, say this. If, if Djokovic doesn't win, uh, who who do you like? The number two guy?
0: Um... I think it's a lot more wide open then. I think Rafa's is in there with a chance. Murray's in there with a good chance. If Stan can put it together like we saw last year. I mean, the way Nishikori played against Djokovic uh, in Rome, he certainly has a chance. I, I think if you take Novak out of the equation, it's a little bit more mm-hmm. wide open than we've seen in years past in men's tennis. I think any of those four guys has a chance to win.
1: Um, let, let's be equal opportunity uh I don't want to say haters. Let's be equal opportunity um, astute observers and uh, and fair, honest critics. Some pretty pretty shaky results. Uh, but, you know, we, we've talked about Muguruza and Kerber and Kvitova. Stans had a rough go of it this year. Haven't seen uh, you know Burdick's coming off a double bagel. This this is a guy who's reached slam finals, who's been the top ten player for the better part of a decade, and he's getting double bageled.
0: That was was perplexing. I didn't see a point of that. Hard to believe that Burdick can't hold serve one time. With
1: with that serve and that forehand, he won eight points. I mean, yeah, he may have been a little banged up. It may have just been a bad day at the office. That guy should not be uh, winning eight points in two sets. No, definitely not. Fair to say. Um, No, but it it does seem as though, as as much as we revere and applaud, whatever the number is, Big 3, Big 4, Big 5, some pretty... Spotty and erratic results from that next, uh, you know, Chilich. I'm looking. Uh, I'm cheating and calling up my ATP rankings here, but you know, for <laughs> rare, bless him, is 34 years old. He gets a pass, but he's out of the top 10. Chilich has not done much of anything this year. Yeah, D- Dimitrov has completely fallen off a cliff. Yeah, Song has been hurt. I mean, it, it does seem as though if Djokovic doesn't win, the field clearly opens up. But I, I'm not sure that the number of legitimate candidates expands that much. Beyond the Dolan Murray?
0: Um, really? Yeah. I mean, it would be hard to see if Djokovic didn't win, that Murray wouldn't take advantage of that opportunity. But I I, I mean, we saw it last year with Stan. He caught fire. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened often in the last 10 years in men's tennis. But it is going to happen again here at some point. Um, but let's just go. I mean, we would be floored if it wasn't a Djokovic-Murray final, right? Don't you think?
1: Um. um the, the, if Nadal catches one of them in the semis and reverts to the Nadal of nine titles in Paris sure but no I think I think you're right I think I think that's fair
0: yeah I mean there's some guys that have a chance but I think you're right I mean look at Ferrer as well he hasn't had a great year he's had injuries he's struggled to win you know matches at times the landscape is slowly changing I think for both men's and women's tennis Um. except those two at the top they're pretty good
1: <laughs> I hear that um no, I mean th- think about last year. We we literally had we had two players who between. Oh, I, I wish I had the math handy, and I wouldn't have to scribble it now. But they basically uh, we had two players come within three matches of a double Grand Slam. So yep. you know, one of them went twenty seven and one, and one of them went twenty six and one. That's that's pretty good. She's amazing, huh? Um, Andy Murray enters without a uh, without a permanent coach, having parted ways with Maresmo. Did you have? Feelings about that relationship, and has he opened the uh, has he sort of opened the doors for players to be a little more open minded about coaching choices, or do you think this was sort of a one off?
0: Um, I think it it definitely became suddenly a lot more okay <laughs> to have a female coach around. Um, I don't know how it was perceived in the locker room, uh, from what we were hearing not great in yeah. the men's locker room. Um what, but, but I couldn't Murray what was doesn't that for? really care.
1: No. What? Nor 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 should he. But what do you think I mean we heard the same thing that there were sort of grumblings and but what what was that really? That that this was grandstanding, that this he was trying to make it I mean what we we heard that. that Who this,
0: knows? I'm perplexed all the time that
1: Men and women,
0: especially in tennis, aren't out there fighting together more and instead like squabbling between each other and you make more here. I don't know. Like you don't do this. It's like I, I don't get it. It's like everyone is getting overpaid and it would be so much stronger to just work together, support each other. And whether it's a female coaching or the girls have a practice court or it just seems like ridiculous, the stuff that goes on. Um, but what do I know? So I don't know. Some male players thought that we don't know the sport, or Maresmo doesn't know how to play. I have no idea. Um, but found, you know, I found was, that perplexing
1: she... on so many levels. One of them is just who who cares? Like, exactly. But uh, well, exactly. I don't know. Let me let me ask you, Lynn, what's your middle name? Lindsay Ann Davenport. Your middle name's Ann, <laughs> right? Let me ask you this: Could you coach a dude?
0: Uh, I would. I just. I, I can't, and I learned that the hard way. Coaching one of the best situations possible with an amazing girl, and amazing talent, um, it it wreaked havoc on my kids and my family. I'm definitely not going to do that to them again in the next anytime soon. Um, so that that becomes a, a another issue altogether. But in fact, of can you watch men's tennis as a female and know exactly what's going on, having played yourself? I think there's a lot of women out there, former players or people that are in the sport that are incredibly capable.
1: I'll float this rumor based on nothing. Andy Murray, Martina Navratilova.
0: Yeah, I think they're all great. It, and it's what I've always said with things. It, it, to get to the, the bottom of a true relationship comes between two people, and we know so little about that, if it would work or not. It's like, why not? Why wouldn't it work? But I I don't know Andy well enough off the court to say that those personalities would really gel and whatever. Um, You know, sometimes you hear about a player coach, you think, oh, wow, that's not going to work. And then it does. (laughs) And you hear others that you think it's going to be great. Um, Martina is one of the most knowledgeable people about tennis she's amazing when you talk about the sport or even when she was hitting with me it's like oh your racket head was five degrees higher on that volley looking at her like how did you know that um so she knows everything now would they get along that i have no idea
1: what what about this too that uh i remember i talked to monica Sellis once and i said what has replaced like where do you get your what's your competitive outlook what's your competitive outlet now that you've stopped playing she's a competitive outlet none like, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. That was a different chapter. I'm not competitive anymore. I don't care. You win. You beat me at games, beat me at ping pong. I don't care. I, I feel like Martina's one of those people who still has this competitive Jones in her. And I think that translates well to coaching.
0: I do. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's certain personalities, and um, probably John McEnroe's the same. You don't think like, I, it just doesn't <laughs> seem think? like if John McEnroe sat down to play Monopoly, he would still be super pumped to win. Uh, and just knowing Martina as well as we do, we know that she 's like that as well um, other other players are a lot can right. can kind of leave that competitive outlet aside and then you think oh yep that 's probably what made Martina and John two the greatest players of all time
1: <laughs> you know I, I also think that um, in in some cases these seem like strange bedfellows seem like strange matches and the coach and the player kind of figure out how to make it work I mean at, at first blush i don 't think anyone thought Oh yes, I've got the perfect coach for you, Novak Djokovic, Boris Becker. Yeah, but for whatever reason, they have you know made whatever adjustments, and the results. And didn't Andy themselves. Murray
0: have such a, a great quote on that when he said, "In all fairness to Novak and Boris, Boris has made it a huge priority. I mean, Boris hasn't been around as much the last like eight weeks, but he is around a lot." You know, he's not like oh yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah,
1: right, right, right.
0: He's not like just like the consultant. I mean, he is doing the hard yards. He's at tournaments. I mean, he tweets a lot, so we know a lot of what Boris is doing. But he's at practice weeks. He's going to tournaments. He's not just showing up at the majors and being like, okay, this is what's going to happen here. So one of the re- you know one of the reasons that has worked so well I would imagine besides all the other stuff we don't know is Boris's commitment to making this like this is a huge priority. This is a deal and I'm I'm, I'm going to be there.
1: I'm with you. All right, um you're we're, you're picking winners you're still going with the two top seeds?
0: I I um I know I'm not going with Novak, but I want to um I mean I picked Rafa last October and <laughs> I feel like I have to stick with that. I'm not sure he's going to pull through, but I said it last year, so I'm kind of been going with that. Um, after Rome, for wow. sure, Serena.
1: I'm with you on Serena. That's a good. I mean, calling Nadal in October.
0: Well, we had to. We filmed a show, and I'm trying not to just be a fair weather friend. I'm trying to <laughs> stick good with it you. every.
1: Every. That's honorable. But, but no. But I'm, <laughs> every I'm saying. we uh, we'll
0: I don't. I think that might backfire on me.
1: I'm saying that's that's a honorable of you, and B that is that is very prescient. Because he's, he looks <laughs> no. a lot, he looks a lot better uh, to win number 10 today than he did in October.
0: Yeah, he has been playing better. I don't know if he has just um, it, 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 the draw, like it would be better to do favorites once the draw came out. If you got Novak in the quarters, I'd be a little bit more concerned on my pick.
1: Right. He's on the opposite
0: right. side of the draw. Novak has to go through a couple really tough guys, and I feel a little bit better about it.
1: All right, most important question, what are you watching on the flight over?
0: I don't watch anything. That's what's so crazy. Like I only travel oh, with right. my phone, yeah, so I'm right. kind of like held hostage to whatever the plane has. Oh, I don't man. have a computer or an iPad or anything, so I kind of just like cross my fingers. Like, There'll be a movie I like on the plane.
1: Silicon Valley, or
0: I know All I right. don't. know. I don't watch TV shows. I just I, uh I don't. It's very boring. I normally just sit there on flights looking at the the flight maps. <laughs>
1: Boy. Um hey. Well, enjoy enjoy that flight map. Um I will uh I'll see you in a few days. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks again to Lindsay Davenport, our esteemed guest and tennis channel colleague. Always a pleasure talking to her and getting her candid, unfiltered take on tennis and in this case on the French Open. We will be in Paris starting this weekend and we will try. To write daily for SI.com, our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Lasanti, will be angry with us if we don't. That in itself is inducement to write. We'll also try and do some more of these podcasts. So follow me on Twitter, John underscore Wertheim, if you're so inclined. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Again, this is John Wertheim thanking Lindsay Davenport. Always a pleasure. Thanking Jamie Lasanti, our producer. Always a pleasure to you too, Jamie Lasanti. Hear the whole SI network at SI.com. Backslash podcast. See you next week. Enjoy the first few days of the French Open.